Hello, and you know where you're at. This is another episode of Altitude Crime. I'm your host, Amelia Allen, and we are covering another Colorado true crime story. I know you still have it up on your screen, so why don't you take a second to follow or subscribe to Altitude Crime on whatever podcast platform you listen on. So I'm diving into a case that has been in the news a bit in the last few months, and I've been starting to get some questions on, and that is the murder of Gannon Stock. Letitia Stock, Gannon's stepmother, just had her preliminary hearing, so let's see where we are in this case so far. There's some overlapping timelines here, so I am just going to cover everything we know in chronological order and lay out what evidence we have so far. Since many of the people in this episode have the same last name, just to help clarify, I am going to always refer to Gannon as Gannon, Gannon's father Al Stock as Al, and Letitia Stock will always be referred to as Stock. At 11 years old, Gannon Stock had already lived a lifetime compared to what he was expected to. Gannon was born premature and weighed 1 pound 6 ounces at birth. His doctors gave him only a 10% chance of surviving. Not only did Gannon grow into a brilliant 11-year-old, but without any of the possible disabilities his parents had been told to expect from his premature birth. How could anyone have expected that his life would be cut short in a totally different way? Gannon Stock disappeared on January 27, 2020. He had last been seen in the home that he shared with his father and stepmother in southeast Colorado Springs in the neighborhood known as Lorson Ranch. His stepmother, Letitia Stock, was the last one to see Gannon alive. Stock had an interesting errand for her daughter the day Gannon disappeared. Around 5 p.m., she asked her daughter to buy trash bags, baking soda, and items to clean carpets with. Stock did report Gannon missing to 911 that evening, and the missing persons report was filed at 6.55 p.m. However, police did not arrive to the Stock home until 10 p.m., over three hours after the initial call. Since Gannon had been reported as a runaway juvenile, this call was not listed as a priority as other calls would have been. Stock's first story was that Gannon did not come home from a friend's house, but she could not give a name of which friend he had been with, and this story would often change throughout the course of the investigation. As her story about this day changed, some of the stories she would tell included incriminating details that only someone who committed the murder or was present at the time of the murder would know. That night, police asked to search the home and Stock gave them permission. This entire search was caught on body cam. At one point, an officer checked the black vehicle that was at the home in the garage. Inside was a suitcase, similar to what Gannon's body would eventually be found in. During the search that evening, this suitcase was not opened. The house overall showed no oddities and no signs of a struggle, specifically in Gannon's bedroom, which would later become the key crime scene. The following day on the morning of January 28th, the day after Gannon disappeared, 
Stock drove to Colorado Springs Airport. She left the family's home at about 8.15 a.m. Once she arrived at the airport, she parked her car and rented a Kia Rio. Once she had the rental car, she picked up Gannon's dad, Al Stock, from his incoming flight. Al had been out of town for two days for military training in Oklahoma and came home as soon as news of Gannon's disappearance came through. Stock then drove Al and herself home in the rented Kia Rio. The doorbell camera on their home had the two home at about 9.15 a.m. Stock's car would stay in the Colorado Springs Airport parking lot until about 7 p.m. that same night. It was at this time that Stock picked up her car from Colorado Springs Airport and drove to an area in Douglas County, north of Colorado Springs. For the times that Stock's phone was active during these few hours, both the car and the cell phone were in the same location. Her Volkswagen Tiguan actually had a system within it that police officers were able to use to both find her location and a timestamp for each time her car was in a different location. Letitia Stock left the airport and went up I-25 and took an exit on County Line Road near Monument. She then linked up with Highway 105 and then entered Douglas County. She also went southbound on the 105 for some time in a double back during this trip. It is believed that this is the first location that she disposed of Gannon's body after allegedly murdering him earlier that day. For bits of this time frame, Stock's phone was on airplane mode, meaning it would not ping off of cell towers wherever she was in her travels. At around 7.30 p.m. as she left town towards Douglas County, it looks like she was also in the area of Falcon, Colorado, just east of Colorado Springs. This part of town would also eventually be searched, but turn up no leads for investigators. At 9.30 p.m. that night, Stock was back on the I-25 and headed southbound to Colorado Springs. She parked at a Holiday Inn where she waited for her daughter to pick her up. The Volkswagen was left in that parking lot overnight as well. The following day, January 29th, Stock's daughter would drive her back to her Volkswagen in the hotel parking lot. But Stock would not have access to her car for long. Later that same day, the car and Stock's phone were taken as potential evidence by Colorado Springs investigators. In addition to the search warrant for Stock's car and her phone, the police also took possession of Stock's teenage daughter's car, the same car that she would have used to pick her up from these different locations. The following day, on an interesting note, on January 30th, Stock's aunt landed in DIA, which is Denver International Airport, and rented a car. Investigators found that the rented Nissan Altima drove to the exact same location on Highway 105 that Stock had been in. Also on this day, Stock would change her story of Gannon's disappearance again, one of the many times throughout the investigation. In this particular version, she had said a man named Eduardo sexually assaulted her at gunpoint and kidnapped Gannon while he stepped in during the rape. As you can guess at this point, after three days on January 30th, investigators moved Gannon's case from a missing person to a homicide. Part of the change was the mounting suspicion against Letitia Stock, but also because Gannon took medication regularly and it would have been fatal if he did not have access to his medication after so long. 
The ensuing search for Gannon would last three weeks and would include canine, horseback, and drone searches. The new neighborhood of Lorson Ranch would band together, both searching for Gannon and turning all of their lights to blue, Gannon's favorite color, in hopes it would help Gannon find his way home. Gannon's story pretty much immediately drew national media attention. While friends, family, and strangers were on the search for Gannon, Letitia Stock rented a budget van on February 1st, 2020. She also bought a Verizon cell phone at Walmart, aka a burner phone. She then took her teenage daughter and drove to Pensacola, Florida from Colorado. And this was backed up by a surveillance footage found at different points along their trip. Again, comparing data from the phone and the van showed that they were together on their travels from Colorado to Florida. While Letitia Stock was on a cross-country road trip, on February 3, 2020, the search for blood evidence in the Stock house began. They used a chemical similar to luminol called Blue Star to locate traces of blood and blood splatter. According to Janet Oravet's reporting for Nine News, this search located blood evidence in the family's home in the, quote, laundry room, family room, Gannon's bedroom, garage, storage room, and stairs, unquote. And Gannon's bedroom had a plethora of evidence. There was evidence of blood splatter throughout the walls of the room, and Gannon's mattress, carpet, and bedroom floor underneath all had blood stains on them. The area that had the largest and highest concentration of blood evidence was under Gannon's bed. Evidence of Gannon's blood would also be found on the garage floor and the bumper of Stock's car. A right foot Nike woman's shoe in the house was also found to have Gannon's blood on the bottom of it. When the shoe was tested, the interior DNA of the shoe matched Letitia's stock, indicating that the shoe belonged to her. In addition to the blood evidence, a 9mm handgun was also found in the home. This gun had the DNA of three people on it. One of those people being Gannon and then the other two being one male and one female. A DNA profile showed that one of the two additional DNA deposits on the gun were a match to Letitia's stock. Her DNA was a large portion of what was found on the trigger portion of the gun. While Colorado Springs investigators were busy going through this mounting evidence, Letitia Stock and her teenage daughter would arrive into Pensacola, Florida just shortly after midnight on February 4th. They stayed the night in a Candlewood Suites about three miles away from where Gannon's body was eventually found. After staying a few hours in the hotel just outside of Pensacola, the two went on to Orlando and then to South Carolina where Stock had previously lived. I do have to assume here if Stock was trying to create some kind of alibi, there is a much more northern route to have taken directly to South Carolina without dropping down into Pensacola. And from what I'm aware, there weren't any huge storms in the area at the time. And it's not like Colorado where you have to avoid snowstorms and maybe you go a longer route because passes are closed or things like that. So I think this is another in a long line of Letitia Stock's moves to cover up her alleged crime. 
A week later, on February 11th, Letitia Stock released a statement due to the amount of cyberbullying she had received because of Gannon's disappearance. And let's just say it didn't really help her image too much. Part of why she was getting such slander was that a neighbor's surveillance camera had picked up Gannon and Stock getting into a red pickup truck. Gannon looks as if he's in good health and fine getting into the vehicle. But when Stock returned, he was not in the vehicle. On the basics of the surveillance video, it immediately went against what Stock had told police in any of her versions of her stories and continued the suspicion against her. I am a little unclear on how this does add into the prosecution's theory, which we'll get into a little bit here in a minute. But if nothing else, it does discredit her as far as her telling the truth, and that goes a long way with most jury members. Armed with the information from Letitia Stock's phone and car about her stop in Douglas County, on February 12th, a multiple agency search took place, including the FBI, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and 15 other agencies. Searches in the area took place from February 12th to 20th, and the agencies focused on Highway 105 between Larkspur and Palmer Lake, which is a radius of about a 20-minute drive in a car. During the searches, they did find a plywood board with Gannon's blood on it, and the board was a surprise find. They did not have any leads to know to look for the item, but instead took it because it seemed out of place. Within a month, on March 2nd, 2020, Letitia Stock was arrested in South Carolina. At the time of Stock's arrest, officials believed that Gannon was probably not alive. Stock waived her extradition rights and was transported to Colorado on March 3rd and would be formally charged on March 11th. Again, a week later, on March 18th, Gannon's body was found. It had been six weeks between Stock's Florida getaway and Gannon's remains being found, and just seven weeks since his initial disappearance. Florida Department of Transportation bridge inspectors were the ones to find the suitcase that housed Gannon's remains near Escambia River Bridge on Interstate 90. The suitcase had been located under a bridge near Pensacola, Florida, which was a 22-hour drive from Colorado Springs. Inside the suitcase, Gannon's body was wrapped in bed linens, and a pillow was also in the suitcase with him. An autopsy revealed that his body had a skull fracture. He also had sharp force injuries to the left chest and right of the back. Now, you'll remember from some of our other episodes that a sharp force injury is similar to a blunt force trauma except for it's made with a sharp object like a knife versus a blunt object like a bat or something similar. Gannett had also suffered a gunshot to the jaw and a bullet was found in his skull. The pillow that was in the suitcase with him also had two bullets in it as well. His arms and hands had cuts on them indicative of defensive wounds. Including these defensive wounds and the sharp force traumas to his chest and back, Gannon had been stabbed 18 times. Gannon's body had not been placed in the suitcase recently, nor had he been recently deceased. Gannon's body was severely decomposed, and it was estimated that his body was in the suitcase for at least a month. 
Due to the advanced state of decomposition, Gannon's body had to be identified using DNA analysis. The sheets that were also in the suitcase were believed to have come from Gannon's bed in Colorado Springs. There was a photo found on Letitia Stock's phone from January 27th at 8.14 a.m. This was the morning that Gannon went missing. This picture showed Gannon in bed, and the blanket that had sharks on it was similar to the one that was found in the suitcase. Additionally, when police did the first search of the house later the night that Gannon went missing, the sheets on Gannon's beds were different from those that had the sharks on them that were in the picture from earlier that morning. Investigators would find that the bullet found in Gannon's skull matched one that would have been fired from the 9mm handgun found in their Colorado Springs home. Gannon's cause of death was determined to be both the gunshot and blunt force trauma, both of which were blows to his head. If they hadn't already, the whole of America turned on Letitia Stock on April 3, 2020, when the arrest affidavit, with the gruesome fines by investigators at both the Stock home and Douglas County detailed, was leaked and then unsealed for the masses to read. Letitia Stock was held without bond for her multiple charges. According to Janet Oravet's reporting for Nine News, these felony charges are first-degree murder after deliberation, first-degree murder of a person under 12 by someone in position of trust, child abuse resulting in death, tampering with a deceased body, tampering with physical evidence, seven counts of a crime of violence for using a weapon. These weapons include a firearm, blunt object, and a sharp object, matching all of the injuries on Gannon's body and one count of crime violence causing severe bodily injury or death. Al Stock and Gannon's biological mom, Landon Hyatt, were ruled out pretty immediately as no evidence pointed to them at all and both were out of state. The prosecution believes that Stock killed her stepson in the bedroom that afternoon when the two were the only ones in the house. While clear motive has not completely been set forth, it has been brought to evidence in the preliminary hearing that Letitia Stock's Google searches showed that she was most likely unhappy in her marriage and had a growing resent for having to take care of stepchildren. Since her arrest, Stock has had some other accusations added to her list of alleged wrongdoings. When being transported from South Carolina to Colorado, she allegedly slipped out of her handcuffs and attacked the transport deputy. She also has attempted to escape El Paso County Jail. In May 2020, another prisoner had alerted authorities to her plan to get out of the jail. Letitia Stock's preliminary trial took place on September 9th. So you may be wondering, why are we just now hearing about the trial portion of this story? A couple of reasons. COVID-19 called for delays, as well as time to determine if Stock was fit to stand trial. She underwent two separate mental health evaluations, and on January 19, 2021, one year after Gannon's disappearance, was deemed competent. According to Colette Bordelin's reporting for KOAA, Judge Miller, who oversaw the divorce proceedings between Al Stock and Letitia Stock, felt that Letitia Stock was, quote, feigning mental illness, unquote, from the odd behavior she displayed in the courtroom during the civil proceeding. 
Another delay most recently occurred when Stock opted to represent herself, but then told the judge that she did not have enough access to the law library at El Paso County Jail. She had lost access to the library for up to 90 days after she did not use her scheduled library time twice, which is against the jail's rules. In lieu of more library time to look at documents electronically, she was given 1,800 pages of paper documents regarding her case. The ruling to give her access to the paper documents by Judge Werner was objected to by the sheriff's office, but he allowed her to have the paper documents so she could mount her own defense. After this exception was made for her in May 2021, she decided to not represent herself and was given new attorneys. The delay over the last couple months has been for those attorneys to prepare for a day in court. During the preliminary hearing, Stock opted not to be present for the hearing and for it to proceed without her. She attended via WebEx video conferencing right at the beginning of the preliminary hearing and explained that she had faith in her counsel and did not wish to appear for the preliminary hearing. Now, in this preliminary hearing, the prosecution has to show that there's enough valid evidence and probable cause to go to trial. The prosecution asked the court to waive the hearing due to Stock not being present. They urged the court to instead enter a not guilty plea and set a date for a trial. Judge Gregory Werner opted to continue with the preliminary hearing. Most of what the prosecution shared is the information that I've already discussed with you and the timeline that I've laid out so far. The defense also had the ability to point out any flaws or any reasonable doubt within the prosecution's theories and evidence that they brought forth. The family had some kind of security system at the house and... The defense said that the back door of the house opened 10 times during the time frame that Gannon was proposed to have been killed. They entered that into reasonable doubt that someone could have been in the house that wasn't Gannon and wasn't Letitia Stock. The defense also noted that there was no history of child abuse or other family issues that are really common prior to homicides of this nature. The ruling as to whether the case will go to trial will be made by Judge Gregory Werner on September 23rd at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. This ruling will also determine whether Letitia Stock will get a bail until the trial starts or not. I will keep you updated as we continue to move through the process of this and hopefully get this case to trial. Now, you know I always try to cover these ongoing cases as objectively as possible. So let's go over some thoughts that I have so far. Musing number one. If Letitia Stock did kill Gannon in the way that the prosecution proposes, and we know the following steps that she took to cover up her alleged crimes, it always makes me wonder, how do people ever think they're going to get away with this stuff? I know we have plenty of unsolved cases that you know I love to cover, but in cases like this where there's some pretty obvious evidence and things like you rented a car, the car's under your name, you had this phone and the phone was with you the whole time and could track your travels. There was tracking on your own vehicle. It just blows my mind as to how anybody thinks they could just walk away scot-free with something like this. Because the odds are it's going to be solved more often than not. Musing number two. In case you were wondering, Al and Letitia Stock's divorce was finalized in September 2020. 
part of the heartbreaking thing about this case is thinking that, you know, you're moving on, you're remarrying. As Al, you have to think you're remarrying and you're making your life better and you're you're bringing in a, a motherly figure for your son. And as Gannon's biological mom, Landon, you have to think that, you know, he's going to have some more support and that, that this overall is a good thing. And really... You're only ever potentially bringing a predator into your life, whether it's somebody that could do something to you, something that could do something to your children, something that could do something to your pets. It's just, it's a terrifying thought when you come across cases like this. Musing number three, you might be wondering why I haven't covered this case sooner. It's been in the media a lot. A lot of people have had questions about it, and a lot of people are seeking justice for Gannon. And to be honest, I don't have a really great answer for you. Dylan Redwine's case was really hard to cover and has a lot of parallels to this case. And I don't know if it's just because Gannon disappeared a lot more recently in just 2020, whereas Dylan disappeared in 2012, and maybe that seems farther away and you're able to disconnect from it a little bit more. But honestly, the hardest thing that I have going through this case, and this was one of the cases that I've covered that I have cried while researching, that doesn't happen every time, is investigators talked about that near the bridge where Gannon's body was found in the suitcase, there was an emergency car pull-off. And there was evidence that the suitcase was just tossed from this location and fell to the area below. And it's just so heartbreaking, not only that this happened to this little kiddo, who in no way deserved it or anything. He should have been loved and protected and all those things that you think a parent or step-parent should do. But he was thrown away like garbage. And I I just can't get past that. I, I just cannot. And we will see how this case turns out. I hope that, you know, in a few weeks or months, I am giving you really good news that we're going to trial, that there's going to be some justice for Gannon and his family. But in the meantime, I can only imagine how that family feels because I know how I feel even just researching this and putting all of this information together. Musing number four. I am curious to see if Letitia Stock's teenage daughter ends up having to take any kind of responsibility in this case or if it's something that she can be applicable for a plea deal. All of the sources that I find just refers to her as her teenage daughter, so I'm unclear if she's 18, 19, or is she 13, 14, is she a minor, but regardless... She does have some hand in kind of basically tampering with evidence here. And on the other hand, you have to think if this girl knew what was going on, she had to have been afraid for her life. And what just another added tragedy to this whole conversation. Musing number five. I'll be curious on the third set of DNA on the gun if that is connected to Al Stock or somebody else in the home, or if that's something that the defense can somehow use to create some reasonable doubt. I don't think it will get very far if they can, but just an odd thought that I had. Musing number six. 
So this point where Letitia's stock is representing herself and then she kind of throws in the towel and says, no, I want representation, really reminded me of a commentary on one of my favorite true crime documentaries. It's a documentary on Amazon Prime. It's just called H.H. Holmes. And one of the experts on there talks about kind of the psychology of this because this is exactly what H.H. Holmes did. He went in, wanted to represent himself, got partway through the trial, things started to bomb, and then he stepped back and wanted representation. And this expert talked about how in a narcissistic kind of vein, it's basically that should they be found guilty, they can kind of blame on, well, I would have been fine if I would have represented myself, but but these people that represent me screwed it up. So this is just one of the few cases I have really dove into where the defendant representing themselves really comes up. And it just really made me think of that. I totally recommend the documentary. It's really good. Musing number seven. Gannon's case did spark a petition on change.org. This was to have all children under the age of 13 called in as runaways be immediately classified as missing or endangered. As I mentioned earlier in the story, Letitia Stock reported Gannon missing at 6.55 p.m. and police did not come until 10 p.m. because he was considered a juvenile runaway and those reports go farther down than some of the others that police get calls for. They're actually really close to having the full petition, so I have included the link on altitudecrime.com if you would like to sign. I think it's a wonderful change. I think um, that age range can get a little iffy, and really an 11-year-old probably doesn't have the skills to really be out on their own in any capacity. Musing number eight. I hope we all get some more answers in this case, but if Stock is to have done what she is alleged to have done, I wonder if it may be a bit like the Scott Kimball case where she will stay mom and kind of leave Gannon's family wondering really exactly what happened. I feel like, unfortunately, that is power that these defendants have, if they're guilty, to be able to withhold that and kind of continue to torture people with that. Musing number nine. This one's kind of about how life still goes on during these trials. Gannon's mom, Landon, lives in South Carolina and has to travel back and forth for all these things. A GoFundMe was successfully raised for her to travel for the impending trial. Al Stock, on the other hand, has had two of his cars with police for evidence for a while And he's still making the monthly payments on these cars, even though he has zero access to them. And on an even sadder note, in going through the divorce proceedings between Al and Letitia Stock, part of the possessions that came up were Al's guns, and one of them possibly being used in Gannon's murder. And there's actually some information in the divorce proceedings about Al asking if police can confirm the gun was used. He's asked for the gun to be destroyed, but if it's not 100% proven, he will get that item back and have to take care of that himself. And I think that's something that we forget when these families go through something like this. It's not only the emotional toll. It's not just the toll of having to heal from this horrible thing. But life is going on and you have to continue to do these really terrible things that seem so unimportant, but 
the world doesn't stop when something like this happens. The world doesn't stop when you're waiting for a trial, when you're waiting for evidence to come back. And it's it's just a harsh reality I think we don't talk about a lot for these families that go through something like this. I know I've had a lot of thoughts here. Here's the last one, musing number 10. It breaks my heart every time I hear Landon, Gannon's biological mom, refer to him as her G-man. These are parents that are hurting. According to Anika Padilla's reporting for CBS4 Denver, there was a quote from Al on the one-year anniversary of his son's disappearance, and I think it says it better than anybody could. Quote, But if it wasn't for God's grace, the prayers of many, and my son's legacy, I would surely have quit. Moving on will never even be considered, but equally as an absolute moving forward is the only option. Without my son, life will never be the same and nothing can ever replace him. To all who will read this, hug your children and love them each day and every day. Like tomorrow is a precious gift that is not ever guaranteed, unquote. The same day, one year after Gannon's disappearance, blue lights returned to Lorson Ranch, the newly built neighborhood where Gannon will never be forgotten. Colorado Springs and the nation has looked on with the motto, Gannon Strong. We just have to be strong a little longer until Gannon, Al, Landon, and Gannon's sister, Lena, and the rest of Gannon's family are given justice. Okay, everybody, this is all that I have for you of this very sad story that I hope is soon getting a better ending. Please don't forget to follow or subscribe to Altitude Crime on your favorite podcast platform and connect with me on social media. Let me know what you're thinking about this case. You can contact me on Instagram at Altitude Crime Podcast and Facebook and Twitter at Altitude Crime. As always, you can find my sources on AltitudeCrime.com along with a link to purchase merchandise. As always, thanks for taking this time of the week with me. Thanks for taking the time to learn and think about Gannon, and I will keep you updated as we move forward with this case on Altitude Crime. Episode 25, The Murder of Gannon Stock, was written, recorded, and edited by Amelia Allen. Music provided by podbean.com.